Welcome to the On The Way podcast, a podcast exploring a non-violent, non-dualistic spirituality. My name is Dom Fay. I'm joined by Peter Cat and Sue Grimmett uh, as we continue on through this pandemic. Peter, hello. Hello. How are you going? Uh, my brain is full. Yep. Yeah, it's, um, it's a very complex time and um, trying to work out how to keep a community together that's not allowed to gather and how we cope with the desire to be together, which is what we usually do in the face of disaster. You know, floods bring out mud armies. Mm. Here we are trying to work out how to look after each other by not being together because we will be bad for each other. It's very counterintuitive. It's a full plate of work, mm. I suppose. It's um, And very this is the thing, it's not as if you were given two or three years of notice to start thinking towards no, this. No, that's right. And, and the... The um, the playing field changes every day as mm. as people learn more about how the virus behaves and how it infects people and how we can best respond. And so we need to be agile um, when we really want something to be a bit more settled. Sue Grimmett is here as well. Sue, what about you? How's the past few weeks been for you? Yeah, I think I, when I first listened back to our last podcast... I'd already moved in my headspace from when we were listening, when we were talking like that. I think I've moved into a slightly more settled space, mm. um, getting a, a few rhythms going, but it's still, as Peter says, everything keeps changing. And the challenge of how it, it feels like people have been using similar metaphors, which I, I always love when they come up. Like someone said to me this morning, it's like a river that's branching out in many different tributaries. And I'd use the metaphor of an octopus with a whole lot of tentacles. Mm. It's um, you know, trying to, or, or a whole, so many facets of what this experience is like. It hits in different ways. And I think it's trying to come to terms with every day. There's some new um, outcome that you hadn't thought of before now so it's a bit of that catching up but I'm I am finding I'm more starting to settle into a few patterns with it I think there's been a whole lot of sort of disruptive uh, experiences and things that have come through the news I know um, recently uh, the time we were recording this um, there was a, a story out of America where the president said he expects the minimum to be a hundred thousand deaths in America and I remember I was just scrolling through my social media news feed and I saw that come up and I just sort of stopped for a second because that's that's very hard to, to compute. And I think my experience has probably been a lot like a lot of other people's where there's good days and bad days in this saga. There are good hours and bad hours. And the common denominator with all of my bad hours is when I start thinking, when will this end? Mm. The moment I start thinking, when will we be out of this and life as normal will come back, then I start getting anxious and a bit worked up. Mm. And then I hear a politician say at least six months again or something and I just crash again and... The best, the best moment, so when I don't find myself thinking about when it will end. Um, but I'm, yeah, I'm I think that's the key, is we have to live life as it comes at us. And mm. we've become a bit um, enculturated into thinking that we can control life. So I think this is probably a bit of a gift to us mm. in the end, um, teaching us that you have to live life, not plan life. Mm, completely. Well, the reason we are sitting here today with the new episode going up is because Jim Shermer, who was on the podcast the first time about 18 months ago, my memory is telling me, sent me a, a text last night, actually, as of time of recording, uh, just suggesting an idea for a conversation that could be called Discipleship While Distanced. Uh, he said in his text that he'd love to talk a bit about how the fact that the church can't operate in its usual form 
actually allows us to return to some more authentic, essential spiritual practices that we might need to lean on to get us through. And uh, Jim said, that could be an interesting conversation. And I said, well, no one has anything on at the moment, do we? <laughs> so no no fixed... Well, maybe there's stuff to be done, but no fixed locations to be. <laughs> maybe, maybe fewer fixed locations to be, I'll put it that way. So Jim joins us now. Jim, thank you for, for making time. Oh, look, pleasure. And I'm a... Um I'm a fanboy of this podcast. Um, I've listened to every episode except one, which was the one that I did uh, last time. Um, so now there'll be two episodes of On The Way that I'll, I'll never have listened to. <laughs> well, look, that, that's very kind of you. We should also mention, since you have last been here, you've become a published author as well. You've brought the Thank you. yes. book in as well, The Way of the Rabbi. Can you just speak briefly about the book before we get into this conversation? Yeah, wonderful. Um, yeah, thank you for um, introducing that. And um, I'm sitting here with Peter, who um, very generously also offered an endorsement um, uh, for that. Um, look, The Way of the Rabbi is really... Uh, a book exploring the Gospel of Mark um, and moving through that Gospel uh, scene by scene and, and looking around some stories and questions around us as apprentices of Jesus. Um, mm. And so I think um, having been through that journey of writing that book, um, I've thought a lot about the topic of discipleship. And I think there's some of the questions from that book that still apply um, to this time. and ask, but, but often and might actually have some different answers to them uh, when we look at it in this particular situation. So how have you found the past few weeks then? Oh, look, I mean, I don't know if I can say any words that don't sound a little bit cliche, but thankfully for people listening, they'll probably resonate. Um, I think it's it's been chaotic at times. It's been uh, unprecedented. Um, I don't have any parallels in my own life experience. I... I think one of the things that's struck me about this time is is how quickly we've adapted to a new way of life. You know, I go back through my calendars and look at meetings that I had three weeks ago where <laughs> I was still shaking hands with people. Um, and, you know, just in the last couple of weeks, someone told me to stay home and not leave my house. And I sort of said, OK, um, and, and didn't actually think any more about it. Um, it was only a few days later that the reality of that sunk in. So, um, yeah, so it's so been, been a strange time. Uh, and yet um, in the su surprising things that have bubbled up, like a few of us have already mentioned, uh, new opportunities, new ways of thinking, uh, new ways of perceiving um, that are also emerging as well. So what prompted this this text last night? You know, it's less than 24 hours ago you sent this message, so mm. it's still all a bit fresh, I'm sure, bubbling away there. Yeah. What, what, what prompted um, this? Well, I think uh, I had a very interesting experience just last night talking with a, a group of people uh, on Zoom. Uh, you know, I think we've seen how the share market's crashing, but Zoom's probably the only <laughs> thing that you can kind of... Uh, whose stocks are rising. But, um, and we are just talking about, uh, you know, our spiritual life and... I mentioned that while uh, you know religious gatherings and church services haven't been able to go ahead, we've seen lots of communities have started streaming things online. And I made the comment that I haven't quite found the energy to watch a streamed church service. And, and that was cause for reflection for me that I was thinking, what what is it that I just can't get energized about in terms of watching something recorded or, or something going on? And, and I think for me, it was the fact that I don't actually go uh, to a church service or, or a church community gathering just to to consume uh, or to observe something going on, but to participate. And 
a couple of people actually shared their experiences of uh, their online church experience, whereby um, there might have been a pre-recorded or a stream service, but it's on some sort of platform, whether it's Facebook or something else, whereby people can actually chat to each other um, mm. through text while while online. And they were talking about how enriching an experience that was. They were talking to people from their church that they'd never talked to before. They were having conversations um, while this was all going on. They said, look, it was pretty simple. It was about 20 minutes of music and about 20 minutes service and um, a sermon. And we, we really enjoyed it. In fact, they kind of enjoy it more. And so I thought, well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's 40 minutes long and you can talk to people through it. It's, it's basically everything I've looked for in a church since a ch I was a child. Um, and so it, it's just got me thinking about um, the, the, the fact that this, this whole experience is forcing us to do things differently. And what might emerge is, I say, some, some new paradigms of how we do faith communities. And, and maybe we won't even go back to some old things. Um, mm. I, I don't know. Uh, but I suppose that's what, what inspired to have a bit more of a conversation with learned heads um, in the room about what this might look like going forwards. Well, I suppose there's two people in the room here who have been doing that, the, the live stream services, as well as a whole bunch of other things. I know, Peter, last time we recorded, you spoke about doing Zoom coffees where you would just Ooh. jump on Zoom and the note would be put out. Anyone who wants to just have a coffee and a chat jump on in you've now been doing these these sorts of things how's it been um it's something we will keep on doing i think um, i'm having more cups of coffee with members of the community than i've had in the past really because in the past um coffee was limited to a particular place and so on tuesday i had coffee with people who were sitting out way beyond Boona and people who were sitting in Tawong and the conversation was really great and it's a it's a meeting we would never have been able to have except through that extended medium and it made me sit admittedly in the same chair I sit all day but uh, with a cup of tea talking to a bunch of people about stuff mm. started with the virus of course and a bit about the worship that we'd experienced together online a few days before but then we just started talking about our lives and same thing happened with our staff meeting yesterday um, because of the sort of I guess the discipline of using a zoom platform um, I went around every member of the cathedral team in turn and we checked in with them because we are aware that we can't do that on a daily basis and so there was information shared by members of the team that was um, different to the normal sort of sharing we do in a staff meeting so we're learning some extra things and and some of the relationships are getting deeper as a result because people are talking more about you know, someone who's working from home was going to tell us about what the kids are up to because they're with the kids at that time mm. um, and you know, kids are interjecting into some of the um, interactions I'm having. So I was talking to our theological student earlier today and, and she had to go and lock herself into the toilet at one stage because we needed to finish the conversation. <laughs> 
very different way of doing life, but but very um, earthed, um, breaking down some of that uh, work home sort of um, divide that can be not helpful in our culture. I mean, I'm still worried about the people who are going to be isolated in their homes, but same token if we're able to be working while we're at home and being more relaxed about our work so they're saying oh, well if I can't do that now I might do it later I think that can be quite healthy too because it means we can actually attend to the stuff that needs to be attended to so I think there's a bit more uh, attention being paid to life at the moment rather than um, you know, as Jim said you know, we were so driven by our diaries before I often had the sense of living life almost two months ahead of myself. Mm. Um, these last few weeks I've been very more easily present. You know, usually I have a spiritual practice that tries to keep me present, but the shifting sands of life at the moment and trying to work out what the latest rules are on how many people can be together and where they can be and all of that stuff has made these days much more present living in the present moment very much more so. And what about you, Sue? What's your experience of this, this new way of doing church a few weeks in been? Yeah, I think it's probably affected by um, the fact that we're all coming to terms with the complexity of this situation. Um, so for me, one of the highlights has been morning prayer every day. And we have people who come on, it's via Zoom, and they all pop in. Um, and it's like it's not a lot of time spent in chit chat we certainly greet one another check in how are you doing but then we just get into the office and there's um, a rhythm in that that is kind of um, holding us in a world where everything's changing there's this thing that is um, a certainty in our mornings that we start and we do together mm. and, and as a practice um, I'm finding it very powerful and, and certainly deepening the relationships which also shows why we, as when we talk about streaming worship services, there's a reason why we're all doing it instead of just all jumping onto songs of praise is because this is about locality and relationships. Yeah. And these are people, and some people, they may only just be bare acquaintances, but they are still known in their community. And then if someone new comes in, then they're getting to know us. And it is a, a relational thing. It's not... Um, here is the most professional-looking worship service there is, so clearly we should all just stream this one, mm. you know. So it's um, we, we've just recently recorded in advance um, the Passion Reading um, with multiple voices, and there were some hilarious moments in amongst it, and we all decided we're running with the first take because we're not Hollywood um, yeah. and we're being really real together. And um, I think morning prayer is is uh, some of those groups of people, it's that, that gentle relational stuff, the everyday stuff when the dog comes in or children come in as well or else uh, just uh, moving into we have meditation at the end too so we move into that silence together and we have it early so that starts the day and it's this rhythm and practice that when all the world is shifting around us when everything really has been turned upside down this is something to hang on to um, and I do think we have to have some sympathy and be gentle with ourselves it's made me realize that we're all just you know <laughs> advanced monkeys you know the, because we're not coping that well with everything being turned upside down mm. our brains have gone into a spin 
And I think we can just have um, a little bit of gentleness with our human condition and say, of course, we're having trouble with this. Let's find some things that we can still have uh, a sense of certainty about because, yes, you know, we spend our time normally at Easter saying it's it's a good time to, to let certainties die and be open to the present. We don't need to try to do that this Easter. It's already <laughs> yes. happening everywhere around us. Yeah. And so actually building in a little bit of, of, of a certainty of let's gather together for morning prayer, let's let this liturgy of the office hold us for the morning, um, let's be in silence together, um, is one thing we can do. It gives us a sense of agency, I think, as well. So um, it's not... Um, it's it's only a gentle self-caring thing, I think, to put things in our days that, okay, now I'm going to go and I'm going to, you know, have... Um, we're going to cook lunch at this time and we might follow a recipe very carefully mm. or we might, you know, having something that, yes, we do have control over is not being a control freak. It's not being unstable. It's actually a pretty normal human response to the fact that the world's been turned upside down. And I think one of the, the scary... Is that the word? Unsettling things, maybe, is a better word for me, has been the fact that this world has been turned upside down for everybody, including the politicians and the CEOs and the, the multi-billionaires who are normally, you know, so uh, seem so above being able to be shaken. And you see that through the videos of celebrities being at home. I've been watching Stephen Colbert, an American comedian, do his late show from his lounge room every night and his son is helping him film it. I think this is one of the biggest mm. comedy shows in the world at the moment. And so this this is affecting everybody in different ways, you know, and you hear about prince charles having the the virus and you 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 do realize that there is an element where people's humanity has has been exposed to an extent people's vulnerability has been exposed i've even found that in some zoom sessions where all of a sudden instead of meeting in a room of people where they've all carefully selected their you know clothing and maybe there's makeup on some and whatever else you're actually starting to see people with maybe there's a mark in the wall behind them and you're seeing into their house where normally you wouldn't you wouldn't see that. And um, I actually had a friend who told me as well that that there were instances, you know, where they're on Zoom calls and, and uh, people, are, as you mentioned, Peter, there's kids in the background or there's mess in the background or one of their family members or partners yells at them from the other room not knowing they're on a Zoom call. There is an element where a lot of pretense feels like it's been stripped away. Yes. <laughs> like that. that uh, we all love that take with the reporter mm. whose, whose child came into the room. It's yes. like mm. that's for everyone mm. now. Yeah. It's yeah. just fantastic. It gives us, if you didn't have empathy back then, you sure as heck have it now because yeah. it's happening to all of us. Yeah, yeah completely. And it's, it's an interesting thing. I mean, you know, I've had the joy maybe would be the right word um and my colleagues hopefully similarly that, that all these people that i've worked with we've started to get to know the inside of each other's houses <laughs> yes, you know yes. and i've had one um colleague that every time um we're on a video call she seems to be in a different room um <laughs> and so i've sort of almost i feel like i've got to know nearly every every part um but it i think there's a few things to that um you know one is as say actually connecting with each other um in, in that broad scope of humanity, you know, not not just in our vulnerability, but also we we like to shape a certain image of ourselves. Um, and I know this podcast is very interested in, in that word of authenticity. Um, but, you know, so much of our life is is lived under a facade, um, both to other people and to ourselves. Mm. Um, and I think one of the things that happens in these sorts of moments is that we have to confront the things that were maybe never true to begin with. Um, And while that is unsettling, and while if I put on my counsellor hat for a minute, 
it's what we would call the the loss of our assumptive worlds the the things that we um, build up to the point of of just taking them for granted day after day um, and and that's a that's a threatening thing to have to confront it it's strangely enough it's a liberating thing you know um the old idea that the truth will set you free um that, that we come back to an authenticity and and live life from that point um and, and engage with life from that point i think that loss of certainties about things um what you're alluding to there is actually just the truth being exposed so mm. we still all of us like to pretend we're not going to die you know, mm. that sort of that's, you know, so this is one of the obvious things that we're all confronting now that that um, being able to whitewash and pretend that's not there is gone. So the pretense, mm. um, but that's just one layer of the pretense. The other layers are things like control over our lives and our ability to use our amazing capacity to create new things will always control our environments. Well, it won't. Mm. Um, and I think our generation, like anyone who's, you know, um, I mean, I'm 51 and and I've had a very easy life. I haven't had any of the crises. I missed both the world wars. Um, but in, in the scheme, in the big view of history, you know, we were just, you know, between pandemics, really. You know, where, um, if you go back to the plague, but even we've got the Spanish flu at the turn of the century that, of course, we missed. And I've lived this idyllic time between that, but also without wars. So... Uh, I think that's led itself to thinking that we can manage this life thing. We've got it all so that we don't need to be uncomfortable, distressed. Um, we don't have to face change that we can't control or manage. Um, and that's all been exposed as untrue. But, of course, it always was untrue. Yeah, it always yeah. was. So it's actually just mm. unveiling what was already there, but we're having to face it all at once. And I think that's the interesting point that I've noticed is people often have those moments of realising it's untrue, but they're individual moments. Mm. It's when you get a bad diagnosis or someone you love has an accident happen to them or you get let go from your job or whatever it might be. But this is one we're all going through together, which I heard a story the other day of a, a friend who works um, in a, a relatively, probably not a, a very warm business, just a general sort of get the job done, earn your money, go home sort of thing. They're all on a Zoom call in this business. And the boss went around, similar to what you said, Peter, and asked everyone, how are you going today? And they spent half an hour of their meeting talking about how they're feeling and how they're handling things. That would never have happened in this business for another hundred years if, if things had just gone on as normal. So disruption has its purpose. Obviously, I do say all this knowing that we're speaking from an Australian context where mm. we are still able to think philosophically to some extent mm. because, you know, there is some privilege to that. Some yeah, other countries... we have the privilege of social isolation. Yes, yeah. yeah. That there are many... Do it. Yeah. Well, there are some countries where you, you wouldn't be able to have a conversation like this at the moment... Because the conversation would be much more, mm. you know, are you going, hey, with that person you lost? Because mm. it is, mm. it, Australia at this stage is in an okay stage of the outbreak. Sure are. Um, mm. And I know there is some fear, I guess, when you look ahead, Peter. Have, every day as you think about this and, and wrestle with this is the reality, have you gotten any better? I know last time you said that you had to accept early on in this, you had the thought, I might be one of the ones who doesn't make it. If this, if this right. spreads. Well, when they start rationing the ventilators, they start with the 70-year-olds and then the 65-year-olds and then the 60-year-olds and then the 55-year-olds and, you know, a few of those steps in. Um, <laughs> I'm on the list of um, too bad, so sad. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's really quite... Um, 
I think that 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 in itself helps one attend to the moment too, realizing that each moment is a gift and not to take it for granted. Mm. Um, I'm certainly recognizing a lot of other people as well are getting better at connecting with their friends, like really connecting with their friends, not the Facebook like like stuff, but. Um, several people I know are having wine with their friends, um, friends that they haven't had time to have wine with before. So I think, yeah, I think it is um, certainly making us take stock. Mm. It's interesting when I think about this, Jim, because you and I had had some conversations about having you join the podcast to discuss the book that you've released Um, we probably didn't imagine it would happen under these circumstances, but it's hard to forecast a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just interested though, because I, I loved the book when I read it last year and it is a great isolation read. I should mention as well, <laughs> but, uh, but you, you mentioned in the book, you advocate for the discipleship model that Jesus lived, which is much less one to a thousand and much mm. more one to, I think you, you say three in the book, mm. one to three. Mm. So each each person maybe has three people that they feel they are in, in that sort of a discipleship relationship with. Mm. Can you just explain that a little bit? Because I think it might actually help us to, to have a scope of what we're talking about, how people are connecting in this time. Yeah, certainly. I think um, one of the things about what I was trying to do in writing that book is come to a list of questions rather than a list of answers. And um, you know, in what I get paid for um, somehow uh, is to be a lecturer. Um, so often I'm standing up in front of classes and I kind of you know, speak from the pulpit of academia. And then at the end, I usually say to people, well, have you got any questions for me? Um, and I'd, probably if I was a teacher more of the ilk of Jesus, which I know I'm setting a high bar. I'd sort of come to the end of what I was saying and say, well, well do you have any answers for me? Um, and so in, in the book, I tried to correct that great fault of my life and actually leave us with, instead of prescriptions, actually thinking about well, what possibilities, you know, what, what could we do? Um, and so, I mean, and this is um, why I've kind of come back to some of these things in this time, because the idea of those questions is they're meant to be timeless. They're meant to be things that we don't just answer once, but we keep coming back to in, in our new context. Um, and so one of the first questions um, that we can ask ourselves uh, in this time and, and in any time is actually the question of where am I? You know, what is my current context? Um, what is going on for me? Because when Jesus calls his disciples, he calls them right where they are, you know, on the side of a lake, mending nets in a tax collector's booth, at the table with their other friends, wherever it is, he, he goes to them right where they are. And the idea is to actually invite us, if, if we're apprentices of Jesus, if, we, if we're learning to be more Christ-like, um, where, where I am right now is the workshop of my apprenticeship. Um, this is actually the context in which I am learning something. Um, but then the second thing that, that adds to that, and, and this comes back to what um, Sue was saying, is that, that the, the heart of Jesus' way of discipleship is, is relational. Uh, and, it, and this has just been highlighted so clearly in the current time because often when we talk about discipleship, we usually think of things that are information-driven, that are mass delivered, that are time limited, you know. So if a church does discipleship, it's sort of six weeks on the keys of prayer or, you know, something of that um, nature. But the, but what we've seen is, as you know, 
people don't go to church necessarily just for the performance um, and for the polished performance because if that was the case they would have been going online previous to this there's mm. all the sermons in the world there's all the great music performances why did people turn up to that place wasn't because of the preacher they'll sit through a crap preacher because mm. the people they love are there mm. and the people that love them are there and that's the point um, and so, you know, I think the, this, what, what Jesus shows us, and this is um, a quote from Dawson, Dawson Trotman, is that more time with less people makes a bigger impact for God's kingdom. And, mm. and that's where this, this question of, so, so in this time where I am now, who, who are my three people to connect with? Um, and, and I think that's the, the key thing is, and, and if we all do that, that multiplies. Um, and, and, you know, not to be glib um, to borrow this sort of language but you know we've seen how a virus grows exponentially if every one person connects with three people that that connection of kindness and relationship likewise would be exponential it's interesting you point that out i know there's a few things around there's a facebook group called the kindness pandemic which i've seen Mm. going as well which is people basically talking about if this disease is intent on being so infectious why can't our kindness and our hospitality for one another meet it at a level of infectiousness? Absolutely. Let's be as infectious in, in, in the kindness mm. side of things. Yep. It's, a, it's a really interesting point, though. Do you think it is harder to do at the moment or do you think it's just you've got to be a bit more creative? Um, I, I think it's harder in a very real way and again i um go back to one of my mentors who i know has been on this podcast as well dave andrews um and we've sort of had discussions in the past around the pre- the, the the use of online social media around building community um and i've if anyone that knows me very well is I'm, I've got a pathetic online presence. Oh, um, I, I should mention, actually, I thought Jim hated me for a few years because he hadn't responded to my Facebook, Facebook request. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> About 2015 yeah. or 16, I added Jim as a friend and I avoided you every time I saw you for a while because I thought he's, he's yeah. neglected my request. I know when you don't use Facebook. Yeah, I don't know if I've logged in. Yes, e- even since then. Um, and and the um, and apart from my appalling uh, online etiquette, um, the, <laughs> there was sort of a reason behind that, which which was to keep in, in the physical and, and a couple of things. Dave once made the comment of of yes, I can I can make friends on Facebook, um, but Facebook friends can't bring me soup when I'm sick. Um, and uh, Slavoj Žižek, uh, the philosopher, once uh, made the comment that you, you can't love your neighbour until you can smell your neighbour. Um, and I, I love both of those ideas. And I think, you know, even just coming and, and connecting with the three of you, you know, um, Sue and Peter, I haven't seen you for a long time. Every instinct in me was to give you a hug. Um, and so to, to be pulling back from that side of ourselves, I, I do think it, it makes it harder. Um and at the same time, I think, as you say, there's a scope for creativity. Um, uh, my wife and I, earlier in the week, did a letterbox drop down our street just with our number and our name um, and with the offer to help and, and the, the calls that I've had in the last five days um, of, of people just wanting to chat. Mm. Um, you know, and, and all these things that I've learned of my neighbours um, that I didn't know before, um, and and wa- and also people not just wanting help but wanting to help others, 
um, and wanting to know if 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 you uh, someone who's worked as a chef saying you know um, if someone's stuck with a small amount of ingredients put them on to me because I can be like the you know uh, what's the, the the surprise chef where I'll give them a recipe for the ingredients <laughs> that they've got left in their pantry I can teach someone how to make bread with only flour and water you know and yeah, yeah. and so these sorts of things my that are emerging might need that my, my son always yeah. complains with what he calls mum's favorite dish which is pantry surprise <laughs> so oh, maybe i need this guy's number yeah that's right yeah <laughs> yeah right so so i suppose that that's a, a fair point then that that there are avenues to do it in very different ways and it's hard because so many of the instinctive ways we know and so many of the ways that are good and we can't wait to return to you know like when mm. i greet jim i w- i would give you a hug and i can't wait to be able to return to to hugging people and shaking hands and you know, and I'm sure we all can't wait to return to them. It's not as though these things are gone. It's just a, a momentary mm. absence, I guess. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, don't, I, I guess something that maybe people are struggling with in the midst of this, and I'm, I know that we did discuss this a little bit last time, but is, uh, I know I saw somebody say, um, respond to the idea that you should learn a new language in this time or pick up a new skill. You know, this idea that Shakespeare, I think, wrote King Lear during during the plague or something along those lines. Um, uh, and people are suggesting, you know, I'm finding it actually quite hard to come up with a masterpiece in this time or learn a new advanced skill because I'm riddled with anxiety every day. Because every day I wake up and I think, am I going to die? Are the people I love going to die? And is our world ever going to come back? Am I going to have a job? You know, there are on every level, like someone's affected by this. Um, So how do you move past that initial level of anxiety that just seems to be constant through every day? I mean, so you mentioned earlier some of the grounding things that are at least helping you stay grounded throughout it. But how, how do you live creatively when maybe, I mean, there's an instinctive... Um, part of me that to be honest wants to hibernate that would love to to press a button right now that could just put me to, to sleep for six months come out on the other side of this when life's back to normal and I can go to the movies or go out for dinner or go to the footy and off we go again so what do you do with that impulse that tells you I just want to I, I don't want to be creative right now I don't want to have to find a way to to come up with a masterpiece I just want to skip this what do you do with that impulse well, I think you honour it for a start. Um, I, I think we are in. Um, I think we are in a time of crisis, and the first thing you have to do with uh, crisis is let the fight flight response do its thing, and we have to we have to act. Um, we have to honour our anxiety. I think. I think. Those memes that have said you know, learn a language or sit by the fire and read a book or you know come up with a masterpiece um, might be something we can do in time but I think they're simplistic responses to a very complex issue Mm. Uh, many of us are dealing with really what is an existential threat it's not just it's not just uh, go and close the door and sit down and read a book time no it's not Christmas Day afternoon and you've got nothing else to do uh, life is changing around us. The world is changing. Uh, that is a very stressful thing. And to see that you're just going to read a novel while the world changes around you is a bizarre expression of individualism, which 
we've discussed more than once on this podcast as being a lie. Mm. So we, you know, the world is changing. People are dying. Um, cr- countries are collapsing. People are going to lose their jobs and there are people who are quite young who will never work again. That's the reality that we face. Out of that, because we believe in the the cycle of resurrection that comes out of death, people will discover creativity and the and the new opportunity. But as we've discussed in this podcast before, you have to do Holy Saturday mm. before you get to Easter. And we are we are, and I preached about this last Sunday. We are entering into a long Holy Saturday. And we have no lo- no idea how long it's going to last. For the disciples, they got off easy. Holy Saturday was one day. Mary and Martha didn't get off quite as easy for them. Lazarus was dead for four. Um, we're going to be facing six months, maybe. In But different people will find opportunities at different times in this process. For some people there will be a new normal that will arrive fairly quickly and out of that opportunity that's when they will find their creative space. But for other people the turmoil will go on until next year or a decade's time. Mm. And I think we, again because we live in this instant gratification culture, the idea that, boy, we're into week three, we should be settled by now, you just can't, you know, life has to be lived as it come at, comes at us. And for some of us, it's going to be a stressful time for a long time. It's funny, I was um, reading a novel or attempting to read a novel. I could only get a few pages in the other night before I kept thinking about everything going on and I just wasn't clear-headed enough to, to, to even actually engage in what I was reading. And I remember putting it down and I was like, similar to what you said there, I was like, two and a half weeks into this sort of slow way of living haven't got through one book and I started feeling like I'm missing out on this reading time I'm wasting this and you know I'm, I'm what is it that everyone else is able to relax and do this better and I'm not and um then later that night I was having dinner and I had a you know too much to eat and then I was feeling bad like I, I shouldn't have eaten that much I'm not really exercising much at the moment and I remember my my girlfriend Bronte sort of sat next to me and she said you're living through a pandemic stop worrying (laughs) she said it doesn't matter if you read the book or ate too much it's a pandemic there's no there's no rule book for how you're emotionally meant to react to this one and i said that's that's very good advice and i did get a second slice of apple pie and (laughs) decided to live through it but it it, it's it is a good point that this idea that that this is almost like an elongated retreat for most people you know put your feet up find your peace and then you'll come out the other side and we'll all be a bit zen and like, no, that's not entirely it. Um, so, so, Jim, when we talk about discipleship through this time and we acknowledge that there is this pervasive anxiety that will cause people to have good days and bad days that, that might not even have any relevant meaning because it might be someone who isn't necessarily in their risk category, mightn't lose anybody and might be in a stable job, but they can't, they can't get away from this feeling that something is broken in our world and they feel anxious about it. What do you do with that in discipleship? What do you do, where do you put that feeling, that emotion, when you're trying to live into the life of love and unity? 
Well, I'm a bit frustrated that Peter stole my shtick. Actually, not that it's ours. He, he, is can, it, edit, it's, he yeah. can edit it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's <laughs> right. That, that would be appreciated because um, I'll, I'll sound kind of... But, the, but the, point, the point being that, of course, and, and I think if Peter hadn't said it, Sue was um, very close to um, shouting it into her microphone as well. But the point is that, that we come back to this, this incredible rhythm um, of um, uh, death and resurrection, um, what I term in um, the book as transformative suffering and radical renewal. And a part of the journey of um, Jesus with his disciples is the long roads uh, to Jerusalem. And, and in, in the Gospel of Mark, it's just called the way. Um, and so there's this, this whole segment of the book where they're walking on the way and all sorts of things happen on the way. But by and large, what happens is two things. Um, uh, on the way, there's, there's things that have to die. Um, there's, as we've talked about before, there's um, truths, or not truths, but, but lies that have been believed that need to be unmasked. Um, there's, and, and then things get raised up. Um, you know, there's people that were once outcasts that are now welcomed in. There's people that are healed. There's children that are being honoured. Um, you know, all sorts of things happen on, on that way. And all the way along, Jesus keeps predicting, you know, where I am headed um, is to, to shame and dishonour and pain and death and on the other side, uh, uh, resurrection. But I think, you know, that uh, that's such a rich tradition. Um, you know, again, if I was going to put on my counselling hat, what I would talk about is grief and loss. Um, and I think for me, what we are collectively going through uh, is best termed in terms of loss and, and the resultant grief. Because one thing about grief is that it's not pathological. We, it's not a mental disorder. It is a normal natural response to a to a natural expected unavoidable life event and so i think while while grief involves anxiety and sadness and fear and pain and anger and all these sorts of things they're, they're not pathologies um, they they are actually part of the process and and in grief work there's two tasks that we need to do and, and you'll see the parallels Part of it is actually the work of saying goodbye to the old world um, that we used to know before we've had the loss. And the other side is actually saying hello to the new world. Um, and the point of the thing is that we have to do both tasks. Um, and often we, we get caught, depending on what the loss is, we get caught in one or the other. You know, if there's been a bereavement, Often we're doing a lot of saying goodbye work, um, but we don't have a lot of good models for how do we say hello to the new world. However, if you lose a job, the majority of your tasks are gonna be saying hello work. You know, I need to go find money, I need to go find a new job, I need to do this. Mm. And then six months down the track, you might go, why, why am I so blue? You know, why have I gone, I've got this ache? Well, you haven't done the saying goodbye work. Um, and so the, the thing where, as you say, uh, um, just kind of one meme saying, you know, well, well, this is an opportunity. This is, well, well, yes, there is some saying hello work that needs to be done there. You know, we need to actually um, find some new ways of dealing with things. But we, we've also got to do the grief work, um, mm. the, the saying goodbye. And I think at a spiritual level, as a discipleship level, again, we see that as, and that work 
as part of our apprenticeship. This is part of us learning to be more like Jesus, um, is, is discovering how um, the, the inevitable pain and events and losses of life can be transformed and also that that there can be radical renewal things springing up out of dry ground um, that we didn't expect to um, but as a both tasks need to be done there's no rushing grief um, it, they have to be done in their time in their season I think it's very helpful the ideas of saying goodbye and saying hello can can be helpful here and I'm reflecting on we're about to come to the great three days and normally we talk about saying this is the one time when we actually walk with Jesus and we know we get to Easter Sunday and there's resurrection and we celebrate that and I've been you know tossing that in my head you know probably because thinking about what am I preaching on on Easter Sunday morning um, that you know how what does resurrection look like at the moment how do we talk preach resurrection uh, when we there is so much that is going to be the same on the Monday you know there's so much that we are just heading into mm. uncertain looks um, still that level of anxiety is still there that suffering that we're still walking through at the moment and and everyone's experience of that I know is different mm. but there is some suffering even in just the change and the anxiety mm. that's there for everyone you know what does resurrection look like when it's going to be the same come Monday and I think part of that is to think about that word resurrection as transformation, which I'm picking up, Jim, on, on, on what you're talking about there is so critical because if resurrection is, is transformation, then and some of these transformations, we won't see what they're going to be like yet. Mm. But part of this is recognising that our suffering now will um, have... We, we can either transform or transmit it and finding ways that as, as Easter people, how do we transform this current pain... And it will be in little ways while still acknowledging that we're still walking on through it. How can we have an eye to the way the spirit is encouraging and finding ways to transform it into life-giving principles? Mm. Um, so that's sort of the, the, the way that I think resurrection can go. But I think there's got to be a level of also uh, uh, recognising that um, we don't know what sort of hellos we'll be saying down the track. The world is going to be changed by this. There's no doubt. We are. We're not going to go back to business as usual. And I think probably, uh, if we are going to be resurrection people, we've we've got to be not looking for business as usual, but looking for what new hellos the spirit could be could be creating. Yeah, it's a great point. And I know when we did the episode essentially a year ago now about the cruciform pattern as our Easter episode last year, I think it was one of you, Peter or Sue, made the comment that once you live this enough and realise that 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 cruciform pattern is the shape of life, it's not as if it takes away the Holy Saturday, but you do know that if you do that work, resurrection always follows in some form in this life. So there is an element of, it doesn't alleviate the pain, it doesn't take it away and it doesn't make it go any quicker, but there is, a, I suppose, a trust that 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 will follow that that is the pattern of life is that is that comforting to you in the midst of this peter to have that immense faith that the resurrection mm. always follows the death yeah very much so um i've always been encouraged by something that julian of norwich said um she used to say she said that um consolation and desolation are an, are an essential pair and that they actually follow each other and the times of consolation one one is tasked with recognizing the pattern 
And when you recognize the pattern, then um, the times of consolation are there to remind you that um, desolation will always pass. But knowing that the desolation will come at some stage means that you don't become full of hubris in the times of consolation. You actually take them as gift, live with them, knowing that desolation will come. And then the times of desolation when they come are, if you like, softened by the knowledge, at least the head knowledge, if not the heart, that a time of consolation will follow. And so once you recognize that life does have a pattern and that um, life does follow death, uh, one does trust the pattern because the pattern, the pattern has proven itself to be... Um, reliable and life life is life in itself is dependable in a in an odd sort of way i mean at the moment we're also leaving with the fact that life is not what we thought it was so the life we thought we could depend on we can't but there is that great rhythm and when you become um deeply the rhythm becomes part of you there is a sense of which every disaster does have a sense of being tinged with a hint of resurrection and one starts looking for the glimpses of the dawn and you know, all the language we're using today is life will be different and transformed which is so important because um, there has been a tendency in our faith tradition to see resurrection as a resuscitation and and, mm. and people have become very hung up on the idea of so what the no, it was the body, wasn't it? And the answer is yes, it was, but it wasn't. Because it's transformed, it's a spiritual body, and then we can fight about that. You know, but it, it's, not, it's not arguing the point. It's the fact that the risen Jesus was not the Jesus who they had known three days before. Yeah. He was, because they recognized him. He still carried the wounds. He was recognized as who he was, but he was different. And the gospel writers capture that in terms of him being able to walk into lock rooms, which is incredible symbolism for our time, um, <coughs> and being recognised in breaking of bread, which is another incredible symbol for our time, um, as we talk so much about making sure people get fed and are having meals with people by Zoom and people having meals with their next-door neighbours on other side of fences. Um, <clears throat> sorry, there's a, all that really important recognition of that. It, of that, this that resurrection is about being transformed. And if we, you know, it, it would be selling this experience short, really, as because it has to. We have to find it as a gift in the long run. It would be selling this experience short to say that life will go back to normal. Mm. If, it, if, it, if we are going to discover the t moment of resurrection in this, we, we have to long for and become agents of, as, the as people of the way, we have to become agents of the new world that could emerge. Because there will be, there will be the forces who want it to snap back to the way it was. Mm. Um, we are the people who have to say, no... Um, out of death experience and out of Holy Saturday comes something that is transformed. Our old life has to be transformed for it to be the gift that it could be. It's a really interesting point. I've seen so many news articles as an AFL supporter 
you know, they're talking about the game will never be the same after mm. this. Mm. Um, you know, talking about all sorts of industries in our economy. You know, every country is going to be saddled with debt for a very, very long time. Mm. But the common consensus is not just that life is going to be changed after this, but that life is going to be worse after this. That's what the reporting always is. That it almost as though, well, we've had the good times, everybody, but it's a shame. Mm. Pack up your bags. The good <coughs> times are over. And, uh, and, you know, now we're, we're back in the bad times and it's going to be the bad times for a little while. That certainly is the mainstream sense of what this is doing to our world and to our economy and to our way of living. However, when you are all talking about a transformed life, I'm imagining you're not suggesting a worse life. And I think that's a really important distinction mm. because I do think that the only hopeful vision of life on the other side of this that I'm hearing shared is as close to back to normal as we can get. You know, that maybe maybe we're, we got to the 10th rung of the ladder. Well, hopefully, if, all, if we all pull together, we can get to rung 7 or 8. Mm. And then over the years to come, maybe we can climb up to rung 10, 10 mm. again. As opposed to imagine that maybe the transformed life that follows the resurrection could even be, in many ways, a better way mm. of being together. Mm. Is, is that... Would you think so, Jim? I, I, th I think so. And I think um, it's it's not to diminish, and I think we, we continually come back to this point, of some of the losses that we will feel on, on the real terms of, of the things that are quite precious to us. And, and of course, that can include loss of life. Um, so we don't want to diminish, diminish that. But Peter mentioned one thing about, you know, the, the, the resurrection and something that I um, frequently come back to, that in that transformed, resurrected body, Jesus still carried his wounds and he still carried his scars. And I think, again, to, to draw on loss... Um, you know, loss is often a bit like if, if we've broken a bone in our body, um, it doesn't go back to the way things were. That's, that's actually not the goal. Um, but it doesn't mean that, that the new way can't be um, more fulfilling. Um, and I think if we come back and, and leave aside the questions of our society in general or our um, world, if we come back to the, the subject of the church, um, you know, after I had that conversation last night, where people were saying, isn't this 40-minute service where we can talk through it great? Um, you know, someone then kind of said, oh, you know, not, not to say that the other stuff isn't bad or, you know, when we get back to normal. And I thought, well, why, why the hell would we want to go back to normal once we've discovered this? Um, you know, the fact that actually the, you know, the heart of why people come is the relationship, is the love, is the fellowship, that the heart of discipleship is the sharing of common human experience and processing together what we're learning out of that, how we might be grow more like Christ or to know Christ better through that. Um, you know, um, Jesus has this wonderful phrase that if you want, if you've got new wine, you need a new wine skin. Um, and so I think there is this, this strange thing that in six months time or nine months or whenever it is, when, when we start meeting as church together, wouldn't it be an opportunity for us to say, well, given we've had this break, what do we want to do differently? You know, what is the new wineskin that we might form? And strangely enough, as, as Peter was saying, um, this is where the church should be the true conservatives. In other words, that we are conserving or preserving, um, you know, like, like salt, um, in, in the world, the, the, the flavor and the, the purity of, of what life should be. 
um, and, and to actually kind of get once we've caught that vision to find a way to continue to pass that on and to continue to practice it in a way that is um, light to the world. Mm. Do you have any contribution on that front, sir? And the idea of the the news reporting being that it's going to be worse on the other side of it is that the, the vision you share? I think the conversations around it's going to be worse is is exactly what you said because people are only thinking of it as the old paradigm. They're thinking, well, if this is what what we've had and we can't see how the economy in that way is ever going to be able to stack up to that, the same kind of um, systems of of marketing and, 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 and the way we've managed governance, communication, capitalism, you know, we can't see any of that being able to stack up in the same way and so it's just going to be like that but worse. Um, I, I think that is a lack of vision um, and I think human beings and are capable um, of, of so much better than that. So I think being able to find that new way, where is the resurrection coming from? And I would love to think that this is um, the, the time when people who are followers of the way can be able, because we are um, depth in a, in a tradition that conserves what is what is most true and most life-giving um we can then say now where are the possibilities now for that for that life to exist in a new way and i I think there's um it's about it's, it's transformation it's that transformation word again if we can't um if we can get away from people who aren't thinking of transformation aren't looking for it Mm. they're not resurrection people they're not going to be looking for it they're looking for the same old but oh gosh it's not going to be quite as good you know we're not talking same old again after this no. um so i think and that goes for the church as well let's mm. so go for how we do church we, i think all the way along we need to be looking for those signs of where is wow that's a new thing that's that's coming that's bubbling up and, and we're seeing it already um, as much as, yes, there's sadness that we're not gathering together, then that will continue to be a sadness and we need to grieve it. But, gee, there's some things bubbling up now that we hadn't noticed that's helping us to, to see what is most important here. It's funny, in the midst of all this, I've been working at ABC Radio Brisbane. I'm producing the local radio programs a bit at the moment, just casually. And just this morning, we had a caller call in. She was a woman in her mid-80s and she said she lived on the same street for... 30 plus years she lost her husband a couple of years ago and she mentioned on the program on air she said that she didn't really know too many of her neighbors that she had some family interstate and she knew one she had some family or a few suburbs away but mostly she didn't really know the, the people she lived near and she said on the show that in the past two weeks she has met or had some sort of contact with just about everybody on the street mm-hmm. and that she feels seen and cared mm-hmm. for and she said, I had to tell neighbours, stop bringing me groceries. I have too many. I can't use all of these. She's got all the toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, where it, that's where it's all stocked. And the idea of going back to normal, meaning she's neglected and not seen on that street. Yeah. <laughs> why, do we, why, why would we want to go back there? Yeah. So I suppose that that is a vision of, of where we might or can be heading together. Um, it doesn't necessarily take away from the pain of what now is and what might follow. Mm. I mean, as we sit here and we wrap this conversation up, uh, hopefully we will be back with another episode in a few weeks' time of, of some sort. But how are you all feeling about the, the weeks ahead? Is, it, is the overwhelming feeling one of, of hope? Is it one of yeah, resilience? Is it one of maybe dread? Are you able to put into words... Because as you said, Peter, it, it's not as though we're now as we're recording in the 
you know, the the end of Holy Saturday and we wake up tomorrow and we're Easter Sunday. We don't know when resurrection's coming. Mm. We can't predict it. We haven't been told it's a cyclone that's hitting on this weekend and then we'll be fine to clean up on Monday. We don't know. Mm. And we don't know what the toll's going to be when it gets there. So how are you all feeling as we head into this particular period before we reach the resurrection? And what what would you say to people who are feeling that dread and that anxiety as we face this long Holy Saturday? I think just one thing to, to share, I think, on that is that there's a great well of grief around this that I have a reasonable anticipation of grief that I feel like I'm holding at the moment. I'm aware of people in my community who um, some who've been recently separated from like their mm. their husband or their wife of 60 odd years and they're they're separated because they've had to go into a nursing home and now they can't see them and they know they're deteriorating mm. you know that kind of grief I, I can't um, I'm waking up with that awareness every day because what a terrible loss after that many years together to have right now this facing and thinking you may not be able to be with them as they're dying you know, uh, so there are some things that it's, I can't say, yes, I just feel hopeful because I'm conscious of, of these kinds of, of stories um, and that the the grief that uh, and, and just bringing someone up today and finding out that there'd been a cancer diagnosis, you know, and that these things normally we would have worked together through much, not one at a time, but as a community. And, and so I guess... I'm aware of that sadness so um, yes just pure hope isn't the word yes I do have hope for transformation we've been talking about this time here but I think I'm still sitting in this space of appreciating every moment with people and and holding simultaneously that knowledge that there's um, some terrible sadness and loss at the moment Mm. I think I'm I'm just living in the moment really in a really quite um, accentuated way um, attending to what needs to be attended and and being with people because as Sue says um, we're beginning to have forms of grief that we are not used to so you know, we're, we're having funerals where close relatives can't attend and that's going to make for some really difficult grieving processes for people um, it's going to keep it keep the whole thing far more surreal um, uh, and yeah I'm just aware of that same living life as it comes at us is, is how I'm taking it I've, I've got a couple of thoughts um, and I, I think this this is where this is such a hard conversation to balance because um, we can hope and talk about transformation um, but, but the realities of Good Friday, the realities of Holy Saturday, we do have to look for it in, in real honest terms. And I think I've sh- I might have even been in the last podcast. I didn't listen to it again, so I'm not sure. So, um, but one of my great frustrations is whenever at a, at a Good Friday service, a, a minister says something like, but we all know it's going to turn out okay. And, and so I just want to belt them because in, in my non-violent pacifist way um but you know i just want to say yeah you know, this this is the day when we actually engage with this side of our reality and to go back to the gospel of mark um the the very last sentence says you know they and this is after they've actually been told of the resurrection um those first witnesses 
um, we're told that they say nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Mm. And that was the full stop. Um, the last word of, of that gospel is afraid. Um, so I think we are, um, our, our perfection or our preparedness isn't a prerequisite for yeah. discipleship. Yeah. Um, we, th- this is still possible in this time. And to, to finish with a, a quote shared from my um, a great friend and mentor, Judith Murray, um, she um, often shares this idea that um, in life, suffering isn't a question to be answered. It isn't a problem to be solved but it's a mystery that demands a presence. And I've, I've lived by that in my professional work. And I think at this time, we hope for the presence of God's spirit with people who are lonely and grieving. And we hope that we might be a presence for someone in, in some sort of way in the midst of this. Not to solve it, not to answer it, but, but to be there. And I might have another slice of apple pie. That might be be my end. Well, thank you so much. I have to say just on a personal level, um, this has been a a good tonic for the soul for me being able to share this conversation with um, all of you in the midst of a very surreal and bizarre few weeks. So thank you very much to everyone who listens to the podcast. We very much hope you are staying well. We hope that um, your situation is as good as can be at the moment. Um, please do get in touch with us through the Facebook page if there is anything that you would like to talk about, if there is anything we can do. This is, um, as we said last time, not a one-way communication method. Mm. We very much like to hear from you. And uh, we will be back with another episode of the On The Way podcast shortly.